Hey everybody, this is your host, LaVie. Welcome to Thrift Therapy, the podcast all about thrift life. Recycling, collecting, DIYing, all the ups and downs, ins and outs of thrifting. So glad you joined me for this thrift adventure. Blackhearts is here. Not really, but on vinyl. And Stephanie Irwin from the Fashion Originators podcast is here. I love rock and roll. I love thrifting. And I love fashion. I can't wait to explore fashion industry with our guest. She's going to tell us a little bit about what it's like to work in the fashion industry and talk to some of the most respected designers and dealers who trickle down into the second-hand stores so we can get our greedy, thrifty hands on them. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about this amazing record I got for 93 cents. What, what? The reason I chose this record is because I was heavily influenced by Joan Jett, her style, her music, when I was a young adolescent. This was, you know, in the early 80s. And then as I grew up, I moved on to Susie from Susie and the Banshees, Kim from Sonic Youth. I just always really loved an edgy, sort of gritty style. I wanted to share with you some of my fashion icons. This record is incredible. And I squealed with delight when I found it. And I couldn't believe it was only 93 cents at half price books. If you see any Joan Jett record in the wild, get it. You won't be sorry. It's a super fun ride. It's angry. It's happy. It's tough. It's edgy. It's soft. It's romantic. It's fuck you. It's I love living. It's all the things. And so I think it really captures my spirit as a 12 and 13 year old. That was how old I was when this record first came out. So I Love Rock and Roll is the first song on the A-side, of course, but the last song on the A-side is called Crimson and Clover, and it is really one of my favorite Joan Jett songs, too. It's a ballad, and it's sort of breathy, and take a listen to this song, and uh, hit me up on social media and let me know what you think. I'll post a picture of the album cover on Instagram at Thrift Therapy Pod. But she says, I don't hardly know her, but I think I could love her. And when I was a 12 to 15 year old, that meant a lot to me to hear girls singing songs to other girls because I was questioning my own sexuality. And that's one of the reasons I probably gravitated so much towards Joan Jett is she seemed to be bisexual like me. record really if you find bad reputation whatever you find get it it's five out of five needles every single time and this one was in perfect condition the album covers beat to shit but the record's in good condition and that's what counts right uh and only the corners are frayed so it's really not beat to shit i exaggerate it's um not well taken care of how about that revision 
The first event that Thrift Therapy will be a part of is called Thrift Story in Austin, Texas. Now, Thrift Story is a podcast in and of itself, which it published in 2017, but it only has one episode up. But the event actually took off, so it became more of a phenomenon than a podcast. Kim reached out to them to see if she could host an event here, and they said yes. So what that means is if you go listen to the single Thrift Story episode that is available on iTunes, you'll get a sense of what it's about, which what it's about is people donate a thrift item, and with the item, they pin the story of the item or the thrift, and when you buy it, you get both the item and the story. So it's really kind of cool if you're a thrifter for from both sides. If you want to donate something, there's still time. Just reach out to Kim on Facebook or on Instagram. And she's Lucky Parent Vintage or Thrifty ATX. You can reach her through either one of those handles. You can also reach out to Thrift Therapy Pod and I can put you in contact with Kim or if you're in San Antonio, I can meet up with you and grab your donated items if you don't plan to attend and take them up on your behalf. So reach out to us, donate, but also buy tickets and come participate. I'm going to be doing a live podcasting from there. I will release a mini so the day before, which will be this coming Friday, to let you guys know where to find the live podcast feed. Okay, so stay tuned for that. The second event that I'm going to be attending is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and that's going to be held on Saturday, March 30th from 6 to 10 p.m., and it's going to be at The Yard, which is a beer garden dog park place. And there's going to be a lot of Texas podcasters there because we're having a podcon for the Texas Podcast Union. This event is organized by Lainey, and I went to one of her events last year. Some of you may remember it was called the Podocalypse, and I had such a great time. I'm definitely going to go again. Let me tell you some of the other podcasts that have agreed to be there. Of course, True Crime Fan Club's going to be there because that's Lainey's podcast. Other podcasts will be All Crime, No Cattle, Southern Fried True Crime, which I'm really excited about because I listened to that show and I haven't met the host yet. Lone Star Law and Disorder, Nerds from the Crypt Podcast, Gone Cold Podcast, Best Darn Diddly Podcast, Swindled Podcast. Okay, so lots of true crime podcasts if you're a true crime fan. If you're a podcast fan, you probably already know that that's the most lucrative and popular genre of podcast, but the thrift podcasts are growing. I recommended a couple thrift podcasts. You guys can check out my last few episodes. And so the one I want to recommend today is Thrift Story. Go listen to that episode. That way you'll know what you're getting into and come to the Thrift Story event. If you can't make it to the Thrift Story event, or if you do and you just want more thrift therapy and you want more podcasts to get to meet and talk to, come to the event at the yard in Dallas on the 30th of March. We're going to have a great time. I'm very excited. And I will be setting up a table and giving away free thrifted items like I did last year. So yes, the tradition continues. I only have one more bit uh, I want to share with you guys today because I have a rather long interview and I'm just going to get right to it. I'm just going to give you a few news updates that are about what else the podcast is doing and how, you know, you guys know I like to change the stuff all the time because I'm having a great time doing this podcast and exploring podcasting world. So first and foremost, I am number 44 in the Apple podcast section that I'm in, which I'm super excited about. And that's because of you guys. I'm up 62 points. Now, one of the things that I just figured out is that because I only um, publish every two weeks, that goes up when I publish. I mean, in the week I don't publish, my number falls. I guess that's the way you say it falls, right? And then when I publish, it goes back up. So if you check my ranking and you're like, bitch, you're like 150 Come on now, that's just in the off week. That's what I just figured out. <laughs> so, 
one week I'm 150, and then the next week I'm 44. That's because that's my publishing schedule. So if you have the time to rate, review, and subscribe, and but most importantly, you know, leave that leave that review uh, for me to read on air. It really does seem to help the podcast. And it makes me feel like I have a long-lost friend who's taken the time out of their day to, to message me and let me know how much I mean to them. I love it. So let me read you this one. It's called My Go-To Pod Five Stars. I am hooked on through therapy and click on it first as soon as it pops up in my list. It's like having a conversation about shopping. No, thrift shopping with your BFF. Lavie is so funny, insightful, and kind and kooky, and she just makes me laugh. I love her tips on thrifting. The interviews are fun and interesting, and being from Texas, I often relate to the things she says. Thanks, Lavie. Keep doing what you're doing. And that was pinned by UT Midge. Woohoo, Longhorns. All right, Midge, I don't know why I just said that thing about the Longhorns. I fucking hate football. But... I do like orange and white together. Does that count? Anyhow, thanks for taking the time to write to me. And I'm so glad to know you're in Texas. And I hope you get to come to the Austin event this weekend and walk up to me and talk to me and tell me you're Midge. High fives on thrifting in Texas. All right. And that is all I have for you guys. If you, oh, wait, no, I do have one more thing. As always, my whole life. Wait, one more thing. No, no, no. Anyway, uh, I've decided to post a couple thrift hauls up on YouTube instead of doing it on the podcast. So go to my YouTube channel. You're not going to see me. I just do this stuff. I don't think I want to be videoed all the time. It kind of freaks me out, to be honest. But anyway, you can see my haul from last week. It's at Thrift Therapy Pod or Thrift Therapy. I also am toying around with doing Instagram TV. So I will probably post an Instagram TV video on my Thrift Therapy pod page this next week. So tell me what you guys think about that. And uh, as always, join the Facebook group, Thrift Therapy, for, you know, fashion pictures, decor pictures from thrift stores. And we just went from a public to a private group so we can just post away to our heart's desire without internet weirdos bothering us. All right, I'm going to take a break here for a sponsor, and then we'll get on with the interview. All right, so I want to introduce you to Stephanie Irwin, who's the host and founder of a London-based digital marketing podcast called Fashion Originators. She has a passion for fashion entrepreneurship, and she's interviewed tons of originators, ranging from the founder of Lululemon to YouTube phenomenon Hot La Mode. Alongside her fashion-related endeavors, Stephanie enjoys burnt avocado toast, philosophy books, and petting other people's dogs and vintage cardigans. Without further ado, here's Stephanie. Hello. Hi. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to Thrift Therapy. Oh, it's so lovely to be on the show. I'm excited to have you, especially since you are a fellow podcaster and interviewer. I think it will be fun to put you in the hot seat for a bit. Yeah, we we deal with a lot of similar problems. (laughs) So true. Including technology. (laughs) Ugh. Technology is like a, it's a best friend with a bad boyfriend. You know, it's like. Totally. You love it, but can we just not do this same problem over and over? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, totally relate. So I'm glad you're here. Tell me a little bit and tell the listeners a little bit about how you got into fashion, because that's why I wanted to have you on Thrift Therapy. You're such a fashion expert, it seems like. Walk us through that journey for you. My journey into fashion started at a very young age. My mom actually read a lot of fashion magazines. And as you can hear that, even though I live in Britain, I actually grew up in Canada. And despite Canada not exactly being the most fashionable place, although I do miss home quite a bit right now, (laughs) um, my mom was super into American fashion magazines and she'd have stacks of them and she'd have them by the door to go out to recycling. 
And I was really, I would naturally just gravitated towards art class. And I just thought it was such a waste because in art class, I'd always do collages with newspapers and that sort of thing. So I started, my fashion journey started with collages and my Barbies, 100%. Like I carried, I cared more about what my Barbies looked like than how I looked. (laughs) And naturally, when you're cutting up a fashion magazine, you start to read articles. And before I knew it, I was completely addicted to reading Harper's Bazaar in particular. And then I started even buying those fashion magazines that are like Vogue collections that are around $50, $60 that no one else buys except me. (laughs) But nonetheless, I, I... was in denial about my love of fashion for for quite a while actually <laughs> well you know I, I don't think it's a popular career well I don't know how old you are but it certainly wasn't a popular career choice when I was growing up like in fact when I told my dad I want to be a fashion designer which the first time I said that I was probably like five but then when I told him that when I was 16 it got such a negative response it was like yeah no that's a waste of your intellect and you'll fail, basically, were the messages I heard. No one succeeds at that. So, yeah. You know, I get it. It's it's hard to come out sometimes as a fashion junkie. Definitely. And as well, people would say things like, oh, you're so smart. That's such a waste. Which yeah. I think is, I think is the only thing that's a waste really is my passion for it because The way I ultimately saw it in the end, because I was really high level in competitive debate, I went to Scotland to get my undergrad and the whole plan was for me to go back to Canada, go to law school, become a lawyer. I had all the skills for it and I had the marks for it, but it just wasn't me. And as you know, doing a fashion podcast, having a fashion job, like it's my whole life and I love it. How did you get into the podcast? What what uh, made you want to go in that direction? I actually did a work placement at a really lovely fashion tech startup that I that I won't name, <laughs> but I had a wonderful time there in London, and the job was quite dull. <laughs> it was data entry and dealing with errors on product pages. Kind of once you get the hang of it, you could pretty much do it in your sleep, and. I got quite bored and my boss, pretty much her job was the same as mine. And she told me that how she gets through the day (laughs) is she actually listens to podcasts. So she recommended me like the classic podcast. Like, have you listened to Serial? Of course. That was my very first podcast. Same. So I listened to Serial and then I went on to like the Shane Dawson podcast and to all these other podcasts, but I couldn't find anything I liked about fashion And I mulled mulled over it in my head for a year, but like the idea of actually starting a show seemed so terrifying. And basically a friend locked me into a bet (laughs) and that's how it started. (laughs) Everybody needs a friend that pushes you further than you think you can go. That's a good thing to have on your side. Yeah. And it makes my friend really happy as well. I text him like when I interviewed the Queen's glove maker, I went to Sussex in England, which is where they make gloves for the Queen. And I was filming bits of it. And it was just a completely surreal experience. And I was sending them to him being like, this kind of happened because of you. Thanks, man. And he's like, no, it was all you. Um, But it's just nice to have that level of connection with your. I think it deepens your relationship with your friends as well. Yeah, I I do have a I have really, I guess, in this way, been lucky in my life is that while I didn't get that lovely lifelong friends opportunity that some people get that I envy because I traveled so much when I was growing up, I also learned how to make friends really quickly and really deeply because sometimes that was the only chance I was going to get. And I have to say that across time, I have been so lucky to have friends really push me and bring out my talents because my family wasn't able to do that for me. It was even more meaningful to have people see things in me that maybe I didn't know was there, um, but they believed in me in ways that I struggled with until I went to therapy, which is what made me be a therapist myself was how much therapy changed me and gave me the power to cheerlead myself 
But before then, the friendships were just so, so motivating. So if you don't, you know, if you guys out there listening, if you struggle with social anxiety or you can't figure out why you should leave your house sometimes, you know, a chance encounter sometimes can turn into something way bigger than you would ever get if you don't go. And I think fashion and mental health are just really important as a combination to talk about especially just because fashion jobs are very high pressure, very intense. The stories I have from my internships, I think we would be here all day. (laughs) The Devil Wears Prada is true. (laughs) Internships in anything, I think, can be super brutal. Oh, definitely. Oh, it's so hard. But it feels like even though I don't think fashion is frivolous, it's just over frivolous objects and for instance, an intern like loses a wax crown in a forest. That's an actual story. <laughs> oh my god! And they have a big meltdown and just. But definitely in the creative industries in general, I think people aren't being paid enough, and especially here in London, it's incredibly expensive to live near work. And if you don't have family, then then good luck. I can appreciate that. I I do. And I think the big turn for me away from fashion for a while, I took a respite. And I think that came around my mid-20s. And um, one of the reasons was because I had sort of reached my goal in retail, which was to be a management uh, person at a couture a couturier, like a, a shop that sells really high in fashion. And I had been able to achieve that. And after a year of working there, my, I, I felt like anything that made life meaningful had died. Oh, definitely. That, that feeling like when you look at your boss and you think, would I want to be like you? Like, does yeah. the idea of having your job in the future excite me? And a lot of the times it's a no. I think there is a bit of a pervasive myth, like, thanks to social media, that everyone loves their jobs, everything is perfect. And I think in fashion, it's really magnified because of the preoccupation with aesthetic. And especially most people I know in fashion have incredibly curated, pretty Instagrams that there's often, it's not perfect beneath the beneath all the filters. I agree. And how I got into this gig, um, in part was a journey in self-esteem. I have always loved fashion since I was a kid. And just like you, it started with Barbie dolls and fashion plates. I don't know if you remember those, um, which were this this toy where you could slide different plates, I guess, with little plastic pieces that were engraved with dip, like a skirt or a top or a handbag. And you put them all in this little machine. And then you take a piece of paper and you put it over there and then you just rub chalk on it or a pencil or whatever. And you get these little drawings. of. Wow. That sounds amazing. I never had one of those, but I do know of the term like fashion plate, which from my understanding of the term means that it's just a girl who wears a lot of nice clothes, essentially like a model or a socialite. Yeah. Today we would call them influencers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So those people. This toy was amazing, and I had it when I was a kid, and I would take it to church because my dad was a preacher. And I I would fashion plate all through church because gross. I hated church. But it was so fun, and and just playing with Barbies and styling them and then collaging from magazines. That was my whole creative process. That's where it all began. And I've done many creative things. So circling back to fashion and podcasting, was kind of rediscovering myself because I will be 50 next year and there are parts of myself I've lost at this age. It's a weird thing that happens. You have many parts, many, many parts of you and you can lose track of them. And so my career as a therapist, kind of, even though I probably the best, most fashionable dress therapist in my town, I just <laughs> say that, um, it, it just wasn't anything that I got to play with or share with others or have any fun with. It was just getting dressed every day. And so I took a 90 day or 30 day or some kind of number of day challenge to 
Instagram your outfits of the day or do a selfie every day for and a smile. Certain number of days. <laughs> yeah. And it will change your life. That's the thing. And I thought, I'm a therapist. That sounds like a pretty big promise. Let me take that challenge. And awesome. it did. It did change my life. With with fashion and psychology, I actually interviewed a wonderful um, lady who has a website called The Psychology of Fashion. And if you want to check out her stuff, it's at The Psychology of Fashion. And it was actually one of my most popular episodes because she writes for Business of Fashion all about anything fashion and mental health related. And yeah, you should ch- check it out. It's It was amazing how much that topic really resonated with people in my stats I was just going to ask you, you, I've listened, I've been binging your podcast. Now, if you've forgotten what the podcast is, I introduced it at the beginning, but I say it again, listeners, fashion originators podcast. If you like this podcast and you like fashion, you will love fashion originators because Stephanie has really cool people on her show who are big in fashion. Some are bigger than others. And she has a really casual interview style that gets them talking and it's really fun. Now I've been listening, but I, I started somewhere in the middle. I don't know why I did that, but I did. And I don't think I heard the psychology of fashion one. So I'll go back and listen to that. If there's any episode you would recommend to newbies to your podcast, what do you think they should start with? Um, I did an episode with the American YouTuber called hot Lamode. <laughs> And we talked about, yeah, we talked about, he actually, at the time he had, I believe around 20,000 subscribers when he was studying abroad in London last, the year before last, which is how we met. I found his videos on YouTube. I became addicted, found out he was in London and I messaged him before I knew it. He was in my flat and we were drinking tea and it was an incredible experience. Now he has almost 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. (laughs) I'm going to check that out. That sounds incredible. It sounds like you caught him on the rise. You know? Yeah, he has an amazing personality. And we talked all about American fashion and YouTube. And he really gave me the American perspective of things because he hadn't really been in London for that long at that time. And honestly, I've lived out here for five and a bit years now. So every time I go back home, I feel a little out of touch, although I was just in Arizona. Well, you know, I one of the things that I love about the internet, because, you know, I definitely lived before the internet was uh, some anything anybody really knew about except the military. And before that, <laughs> it was like finding people who had your style, if you were at all weird, was super challenging. So the first thing that made me love the internet and social media was seeing how many people out there that were like me. And that's yeah. something I still continue to do. And it's so important as well for people like us to build platforms where unique voices are actually being heard. Because I remember once being in an internship a long time ago, and my boss said one day, like offhandedly, like, oh, we're changing the future of fashion. And I looked around, everyone was probably like upper middle class, white, female, you know, that's kind of the stereotypical, like, fashion employee at least when you think of like how British Vogue for for instance all the staff when Alexandra Shulman was editor kind of fit that description um and I looked around I thought no actually (laughs) you're not how are you changing the face of fashion if everyone here looks the same and everyone here is the same they come from the same economic background the same race the same town the same schools even and I think in showing and proving that there are these really niche cool people who've done cool things it'll not only like give you the tools to do them yourself but it'll also just show you these people exist which honestly for me is is enough I think that's a great point and you know one of the things that I've really started doing too now I feel more comfortable there are people like me is now I love looking at people who are really different than me it's not so isolating now to enjoy a totally different perspective but before I was able to connect with people that were like me it seemed like there was no one like me right so it made it hard to appreciate all the I don't know the things that just before they said to me you're too different 
now I enjoy the contrast more. It feels a little more balanced, I guess, in my mind. I don't feel like such yeah. a weirdo. So I can appreciate all the differences too. And that's what I love about your podcast. It, it There's totally different points of view that I feel like I wouldn't have access to if podcasts weren't a thing. Yeah. And I think pod, the podcast, it as a podcast, just in general, they really democratize content. So you may not be sitting in the Hearst building with Michelle Obama and Oprah, but you can get the podcast and you can hear that content and maybe one thing Michelle Obama said inspires you and then you go out and do that and then it changes your whole life. And it's really crazy how you probably don't even know how many people listen to this podcast and get inspired by something you said, and you could change someone's life and have no idea. And I think that's one thing that I do really love about content, especially content that I'm, that I'm passionate about because odds are I'll probably say something better than if we're talking about physics or the moon. (laughs) Oh, my God. I know. It's like, um, I mean, I love academics. I love learning. And I know that you come from an academic background, too. And it's great. But it can be really stuffy. And I mean, frankly, I I don't think that's necessary. Oh, I struggled. I struggled with that a lot at uni. I've been very open about I went to St. Andrews in Scotland, which is a very academic People are interested in fashion, but it's more in like the status symbol way rather than the creative way. And I did a fashion blog, which no longer is on the internet, (laughs) called Princess and Trainers. And I'd wear sneakers with everything. It was kind of like my rebellion against how all the girls dressed at my university. And while the teachers were amazing, I love Scottish people. It's a beautiful place. I I just felt very oppressed not being in a creative environment. And I've always wondered how my life would have been different if I'd gone to a creative school. Did you ever have thoughts like that? Oh, constantly. And uh, because of my family's religious, I don't know what to call it. Let me just call it brainwashing. Um, They tried to limit as much as they could you know, my exposure to all the different things in the world. So for a while, it was even Christian school. And it just, once I got back into a public high school in a big city, finally, I mean, it just blew my mind, all the different options that were out there. And I didn't pursue anything particularly creative at university. But when I went, started to college, it was super late. It was about 10 years later because of this big blowout over fashion designing. I I ended up just saying no to everything instead of just no to my dad. That was dumb. You know, you've got to think about these things and review your life at some point. That was kind of dumb. It was because I ended up hurting myself instead of him. But when I went, finally decided, okay, it's time for me to go to college. I actually started at a community college and they had such a fantastic art program And it was just, and for two years, I just took art classes whenever I wanted to. That's so, art is so important, even if it doesn't directly relate to fashion per se. I think it's important to have like a a wide ranged art background and knowledge in the fashion industry. I think it's benefited me quite a bit. Me too. And I feel like it was, that was the place where I began to understand that it was okay for me to have a different dream, that going back to college and pursuing art gave me a chance to let go of the fashion designer dream without all the pain because I began to discover that what made me love fashion so much was just self-expression. And I have found so many wonderful ways through the years to really express myself. And I'm just- Were you a shy kid? Because I was a shy kid and fashion was like, especially sneakers were the thing that that let me express myself or like show I'm actually a cool kid when I went to a new school on like, you know, your first day of school outfit. Yeah. That was my favorite. So much significance on that. I thought this outfit will determine everything. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken like a true fashionista. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. I remember, you know, planning my outfits for the week and then my sister would get me to plan her outfits and then my mom would ask me to help her. And, you know, it was just like, even though I was in this really controlling environment, my creativity still shone through. And 
I'm really glad. I wasn't a shy kid. I'm not a shy person. I do have anxiety, though. And when I look back over my life, I can see that I've had it since I was very young. But yeah, I, just I don't think let it stop me. I just won't. I just refuse to let my anxiety control my outcomes. Yeah, but I think it's important as well. And I've had to learn this within the last few months that just anxiety and is totally normal. We all have it. And secondly, like being able to identify if you're an introvert, because for me, I had um, I was starting a new job in the fall. So I had a couple weeks to chill before that. And during those weeks, I did not chill. I had no chill. I did as many (laughs) podcast interviews as I could fit into a couple weeks because I thought, you know, when I start my new job, I don't want to have to think about fitting in interviews because that's probably you probably experience this as well. It's really hard to schedule times when people are available because they all want to meet at like 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. And that's just not doable when you work in nine to five. But what I realized is I was so drained just talking to people and interviewing. I did probably, I think over like a span of three days, I did like two interviews a day and it was all just in a row. And I felt like a shell of a human and I love talking to people and I love recording episodes but I think I do my best work when I have a bit more time to just absorb more culture and absorb the world around me and come back and be my full self in a conversation 100 percent I think I'm what's called an ambivert which is right in the middle and um and that makes sense to me because I'm also a bilateral hemisphere person too, meaning I'm about equal right brain, left brain. So how do you, do you do like a test for that? How do you know? I've always, yeah, yeah. I've always been curious. Yeah. There are tons of psychometric tests available online now. And so you can just hop on and you can take a whole bunch of different ones is what I like to do to see um, what their algorithms might be like. Cause you know, I have a background in uh psychological research so I can tell a lot by how it's designed if it's going to be a valid result so maybe I'll put a couple links in the show notes for this episode if you want to test your right brain left brain pattern your uh introversion scale I can put some links in the show notes because it it is really fun to kind of just I don't know how um accurate it is in terms of forecasting what what you want to do with that but it's really fun to think about retrospectively like oh that explains that that explains that I find that really useful and then I think the way that influences me is it helps me plan my self-care better totally and have you done the there's a website called 16 personalities my boss at work in my fashion office said I said I think it's all important that we do this so we can have a greater understanding of each other and a greater understanding of ourselves. And I thought that was really cool. And I looked at it and I thought, Oh, this is actually me. I'm an ENFJ. Apparently (laughs) did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. That's a, the, that's based off the Myers Briggs uh, personality test. And it's been around for quite some time now. Um, There has been some revisiting on the Myers Briggs in terms of, uh, validity over the past I don't know four or five years I love astrology too (laughs) I'm open-minded so you just gotta like to me if if, you know someone who's looking at the science end of things a lot of time you know you just you want to take from it what you think is relevant to your life yeah don't worry so much about it in terms of well, I have to swallow the whole enchilada. Oh, I'm from San Antonio. I always say things like that. Sorry. No, you don't. You, um, you, you just take what you find compelling and you can leave the rest. And I, I really enjoy personality tests and uh, things that kind of describe me to me. I think it's fun. Definitely. And take what you enjoy and kind of and find compelling and dump the rest, I think, can also relate to podcasts. Because I don't know about you, everyone seems to have a podcast now. Like, I don't really mm-hmm. know too many people personally who have podcasts. I know in America, they blew up before they did here in the UK. It's more of a new thing here. But I've just been editing down my selection. I thought I'd mention as well for your listeners, Blamo is a fabulous podcast. Have you listened to it? 
No, I haven't. But of course, that's what I'm doing next. (laughs) It's hosted by a guy named Jeremy Kirkland, and he largely talks about menswear. And he's a really great interviewer. He's really concise, and he gets these incredible New York-based people on. And I've learned so much. I thought I knew a lot, (laughs) but every time I listen to his podcast, I learn something new and cool. And what's awesome as well about fashion and podcasts is that when you go onto a podcast that's not necessarily fashion related, sometimes they even have fashion related guests. Do you have a few of those that you that you like to listen to, like non fashion podcasts that have had fashion guests on them? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to find stuff like that. I'm still trying to figure out, like, uh, how to search and find great podcast in the fashion and beauty because I get a lot of like top 100 recommendations when I look for any and and I'm having the same problem in iTunes like trying to find really specific that it's just if you put fashion I get such a overwhelming amount of podcasts so I really like the suggestions that you're making it's really helpful to me I appreciate that I haven't listened to it what's interesting is podcast SEO because when you search fashion at least on UK iTunes um, what comes up isn't necessarily the most popular podcasts. It's just the ones that have the best SEO, or at least there's one that's called Dubai Fashion News or something. I've never listened to it. It's the first thing that comes up every time I search fashion, yeah. yet they have zero reviews of any kind. So no social media either. So I don't really get a sense that there's a community or that people are really engaging, but business of fashion are consistently at the top in the SEO. So I, I would love to pick their brain on how they do it. <laughs> well, that's interesting that you mentioned the community aspect because um, how I found you was on Instagram, which is actually, for me, the the way that I best find podcasts is on Instagram or Twitter, which I'm not great at Twitter, but there's those communities are a little more robust, I think, for sharing information about podcast and I can find a little more searchable content descriptors like I can type in hashtags and get a little more of what I might be looking for so that's how I found you Instagram's really nice because it gives a visual aspect to the podcast it's not necessarily like filming an episode but it does show you a little bit more about the show's personality or the host's personality and sometimes I even go on video (laughs) My thought was this week, and it's it's so cool that I'm interviewing you on this particular week, because I thought, I'm a member, as a podcaster, you may be as well, I'm a member of several Facebook communities for podcasters. But one of the things that I find in those groups is that when I'm looking for people to interview, when I'm looking for technical questions, it's a bunch of like non-fashion people, non-beauty people, uh, non-thrift people. And so it's just not what I'm looking for. They're not really useful to me except on technical stuff. So I kind of had the idea that I would start a fashion and beauty podcasters uh, or and YouTubers. That sounds great. I would definitely be happy to to join. I think it's so important to have that engagement and to feel like you're not alone because if none of your friends do it no one at your work does it you can feel a little a little crazy um for if you're lucky enough i'm not sure general assembly have you heard of them so they're a tech education company they have campuses all over the u.s one in canada and one in london And in London, I did this podcasting workshop because you can do like paid workshops for a day or an evening. And that was how I learned everything I need to know about podcasting from this guy called Mark LaRoost of The Unconventionalists, another great podcast. He's pretty much like the me, but not fashion specific, just everyone cool. And it really helps to just speak with someone who has done it all and even now, I DM, DM him on Instagram when I have questions. So it's really important to have those relationships with people. And I'd, I'd love to be that for someone else's podcast one day. Awesome. I mean, why not? We've got to support each other. And 
So I want to move on to some of the topics that I was listening to when I was binging your podcast. A couple of things stood out to me over and over again is that there is a conversation going on in the fashion world, which my community is has been having for quite a long time is the sustainability problem of fashion. Can we talk a little bit about that? Sustainability is something that comes up with people who their brands or whatever they're doing doesn't even relate to sustainability. I just always manage to talk about it. (laughs) Well, good. So one of the things that uh, has come up in my podcast with a couple different guests that I've had is the problem of fast fashion. Now, when I first started in retail, I started at, God, I was like 16, and I started at Contempo Casuals, which I think was among the first big fast fashion retailers. Do you remember Contempo Casuals? (laughs) So I don't think we actually had it. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, if you're my age and you grew up in the States, you will remember it because it's probably like the first H&M. And it was like all of this, you know, trickle down, runway tight, maybe a little more uh, high fashion vibe, but for really cheap prices, right? So you didn't just have to wear khakis and a button up shirt or whatever from the Gap. This was like poor people's high end fashion, right? Which is kind of the way I think of fast fashion. It's very trendy, um, but it's very poorly made, right? And cheap, you can afford and it's it. Also, my, the main problem I have with fast fashion actually is how these companies have so much money, yet they copy young designers. It's honestly go and copy the companies that have tons of money, Louis Vuitton, whatever. <laughs> but it it's heartbreaking. It's so hard. Yeah, the gatekeepers, like young artisans' sweaters being knocked off at H and M. And no one has any idea. And Diet Prada, the Instagram account that has changed the face of fashion, (laughs) they point that out on their Instagram account. Instances (laughs) where places like H&M, for instance, knock off young designers. Or when a certain Moschino collection, I believe it was Moschino, um, someone had applied for an internship at Moschino and their the portfolio that they showed was pretty much what this collection ended up being so the person posted on social media like you know this isn't cool why did this happen and diet Prada shared it so but yeah knocking off is uh, my main gripe with fast fashion and un- unfairly treated workers and i could go on <laughs> well those are really good points and you know i think I hadn't, I, I did not know, I, I guess I didn't think about it, that could happen that if you went in to apply for a job with your portfolio at a, a major fashion house, that they might steal your ideas. Like, that's just not how I think about that. You know, it's, um, it's happened to friends of mine, at, even on the editorial writing level, they would pitch ideas, they'd maybe get the internship, but the person said, oh, your ideas weren't great. And then a couple months later, they'd use that exact idea. And to an extent, maybe it could be a coincidence because certain content is relevant with certain times given the climate of the of the industry. But I really doubt it. Yeah, I don't know. It makes me want to just videotape every single thing I do, like just in case somebody's stealing from me. You know, <laughs> like like if I were an artist, it I don't know, that would really affect me very deeply, I think, too realize that not only is there a lot of gatekeeping in fashion is that when I'm trying to climb that ladder or break through, I have a chance of being ripped off. Like, Oh, that's heartbreaking. Now on this podcast, we've talked about um, the less personal side of that, which is the, um, the enormous amount of waste that comes from fast fashion and the unfairly treated workers. And those are two problems that thrifters really care about a lot. And so one of the main things that we do in thrift is we just try not to ever buy anything new unless it's sustainable, right? Because we don't want to undo all the work we did thrifting with buying unsustainable products. So we try to be careful about that. 
And uh, I think also one of the things that we really like about thrifting is that we were recycling clothing. And if something's really well made and it's not fast fashion, I mean, that thing can be thrifted and donated, you know, three or four or five times before it's seen the end of days. Unless, like me, I am such a messy pants. Like, I just spill things on my boobs constantly. So... For me, bras and underwear and workout garments are the main things that I don't want to thrift. Um, A friend of mine has an amazing sustainable lingerie brand, and I interviewed her on my podcast, and that's actually how we became friends. It's called Laura Intimates, and they they use off-cut fabrics to construct their garments, and it's all body positive, handmade in London. Highly recommend. Just wanted to plug her because if you're really into sustainable fashion, bras and underwear, it's hard, man. I don't really have the same problem, but I don't typically wear uh, what I guess most people call panties. Like, that's just not a thing I like. So I don't mind buying a vintage bra or a vintage slip, but that's not going to take me all the way through my undergarment needs. So it's really critical to have you know, and access to some sustainable undergarments. So I will definitely link to that in the show notes because I, I ha- you have to supplement your wardrobe when you thrift with really basic things. Another thing I find it very difficult to thrift is probably sneakers, like workout sneakers, just because by the time they get to the thrift store, they're usually pretty bad off, you know? Um, there's a they brand have. called Veja or Veja. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but that is a vegan, sustainable sneaker brand, and they actually are really cute. Oh, that's the best, because sometimes there is a sacrifice, and I don't think that and needs all to the, happen. I can attest, because I work at a really lo- large fashion company that I think most people have probably heard of, that all the coolest girls are wearing them. So sustainability is cool. Well, I'm cool, so yeah, I want them too now. Yeah. You totally I confess I don't own a pair, but that's only because I'm trying to buy less. And I am not perfect, but I do love vintage. (laughs) I do love vintage, too. And I think the 1960s and 70s era is my favorite vintage. What's yours? I'd say I really have been, I guess it's not proper vintage, but I'm really into, like, old sweaters from the 90s and, like, silk tops from the 70s. And I have this really amazing, I think it's more 80s, actually, bright purple shirt that I'm looking at now that's hanging on my clothing rail that has really big sleeves and I wore it on New Year's as kind of a jacket over this tiny mini dress and I love I definitely for me vintage wise I really gravitate towards statement jackets and silky blouses I love all those things and I would love to have a picture of your purple blouse or you wearing it or whatever you're willing to definitely that can be arranged. (laughs) So when you think about thrifting and your podcast, do you ever, is that, does that ever come up? i looked for an episode specifically about thrifting. I didn't see one. Has Um, that come up on your show? show? I talk to fashion entrepreneurs. So I'd say about the closest thing I have to that would be, I spoke with Sarah Arnold, who founded a company called Hire Studio, where she does clothing rental. So I guess in a way that is a form, a form of thrifting. <laughs> yeah, like especially if you wear the garments, send it back. And yeah, and you pay a monthly them. subscription and she does it with really high end clothes, such as like Comme des Garçons. She has a very high fashion aesthetic and I went to a pop-up event of hers a while back and I met this amazing fashion designer called Patrick McDowell and he showed me his clothes that were made with off-cut silks from Dior and he's like oh you can rent this for 90 pounds for a month and it's really exciting to to see things like that but if I come across someone with a thrifting business Maybe I could get the founder of Depop to speak to me. Who knows? But she's in Italy. But I can, I'll maybe be there at some point. (laughs) Yeah, that would be amazing. I I think anything we can do to address the, 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 eco problems that we're having globally, I think is the way to go. And for me, I've been a thrifter for over 30 years. So I feel like 
it's one of the ways that I've made the best contribution to being sustainable in my life. If I look at it as a whole is that I just don't buy a whole lot of new things. I, I prefer older things from my childhood era of the seventies. So it wasn't like I was always intending to be eco-conscious. So it's just that one of my passions just turned out to be that way. And so I guess I'm proud of that. And anytime I can spread the word of, about thrifting and point out that it's sustainable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's really important that. as well for people to recognize that higher end brands, which I've worked for in the past, use so much plastic waste so much cardboard these aren't even the larger higher end brands that you necessarily initially think of and as well during sales during sample sales people buy stuff yes it's better quality and not made by a child but they buy stuff that they wouldn't usually buy and as a result there are closets less edited so i think being edited in your in your style actually makes you more stylish because you can actually see what you own and it's better for the world <laughs> you know what that might be the best style tip of all time i think even though my closet is full and my jewelry cabinet is full it's all edited it's all stuff i love it's all stuff i wear so even if you're a maximalist like me or maybe iris eiffel it that you are not just buying anything, right? You're not like, oh, I like it, I'm buying it. You're like, I like it. Does it fit my personality? Can I integrate this into my style message? So editing isn't just having a few things. It's really thinking about your cohesive, maybe what what would you call it? Your co cohesive yeah, your style aesthetic. portfolio. Aesthetic. Here's who That's I am. I think. <laughs> yeah, you're aesthetic. Yeah, well, I wanted to make it longer and more complicated because <laughs> that's how I am. <laughs> yeah, so I like that advice a whole lot. And maybe that's a really good takeaway. Is there anything that you can tell us because you're in the fashion industry and most of my guests are not, we're mostly thrifters or DIYers or, you know, vintage collectors or something like that. Is there anything you can tell us about thrifting that's harmful that we may not know um I don't think thrifting is necessarily harmful except one thing I did hear is that just because you give clothes to a thrift shop doesn't necessarily mean it ends up there a lot of clothes actually that are donated to charity get put in landfills and not actually not actually used or worn by anyone so if you donate like a cheap top with a massive hole in it and dirt on it, it's just going to go in a landfill and no one's actually going to buy or own that. And so basically, if your garments don't meet certain criteria, it's going to end up in a landfill. And I think it's important to to consider that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, and it's not something that I think comes up a lot. And in an interview I recently did, which hasn't aired yet, but a really great uh, moment occurred that I think you are also pointing out is that maybe who you donate to really matters as well. Like a lot of thrifting is, is run by charitable organizations, but it may be really important to think about what charity you're donating to and what charity you're buying from. And in that conversation, we were really thinking about the causes that are meaningful to you. But I think in this conversation, it's really the causes are important too, but also what do they do with the the things that you donate? Do they actually resell them or what I find you know, what really exciting do? though, is there's a designer in London called Matthew Needham and he's really into upcycling and he actually makes clothes out of trash. And there's a video about him that's coming out through ID magazine pretty soon. And there's a lot of content about him online. I discovered him reading ID, which I also recommend to your listeners. And I just find that exciting, the future of materials and what we're going to be wearing in the future. And maybe we'll be donating th things to thrift stores and they'll be turning them into fabric and then selling that fabric and just contemplating all these ways of reuse are really exciting to me. I think so too. And they're inspiring as an artist. I, I have uh, been a painter for a long time and, you know, going back to my community college days and I 
I do know how to build a canvas and I can build them as big as I want. And that's really lovely and fun. And I do, in fact, do that occasionally. But my favorite thing to do is to paint on trash. I, objects people don't want anymore, cabinet doors, headboards, And that makes, that makes your work unique as well because you do that. And it's just so fun to take something that's disgusting and turn it into a covetable, hopefully, as for, piece as of for art. As for bad, bad <laughs> right, things yeah. about thrifting, I don't really think there's anything bad other than maybe buying something at a thrift store that you would never really wear deep down or something that doesn't go with your closet. It's kind of that, the impulsive like sale mentality. Like I buy most of my clothes at designer sample sales, but I'm very careful of what I purchase because it's so easy to fall into the trap of buying something just because it's a good deal. But one of the top lessons I've learned working in fashion is that regardless of how much something is discounted, the, per- the only person that's winning here is the company selling the item to you because they are still making a profit and all you're getting is that pair of shoes slightly too tight and in the color you didn't want in the first place. Yes, I think a good takeaway message for this episode is really enjoy yourself, but edit. You can do both. Totally. Before I let you go, I want to ask you the thrift questions. I have the same five questions I ask everybody. And in a way, it helps us determine, you know, like what level thrifter are you? Because in this community, we believe that thrifting is a hobby and it's uh, also just a way to shop, but it's also a skill. So are you ready? Okay. Well, how often do you thrift? I thrift thrift probably, I live really close to, do vintage stores count? Not really. Resell. Okay, so there's a really amazing vintage store near me called House of Vintage. So I go there probably once or twice a month to see what they have. Is it like a curated sort of curated, incredibly old? In particular, I am going to go there this weekend because I'm looking for an old school varsity jacket because I do not have one, and I think it will be very warm. And you clearly need one. It's it's it sounds like you're coveting. <laughs> yeah, and it's quite cold out too. Do you typically go alone, or do you like to go vintage shopping? I actually friends? love going alone because if you go to a bigger place that has a lot of cheap stuff, you really need to concentrate and dig. And there's nothing more satisfying than finding my like my current blouse I'm wearing. I bought for ten pounds at a resale vintage store. And that was just digging through racks. And you never know like what stuff is going to come in when. It's so unexpected. Spoken like an expert. Yeah. You, if you are any high level of thrifter where you're building a skill, socializing is fun. But you've got to. And don't let your dig. friends you sway focus. you because they'll yeah. tell you, oh, that looks good. But it's not your style. And you know what's good for you. And it makes you think and question yourself less. So do you believe in thrift gods? Like some sort of cosmic thing that helps you find that perfect leather jacket I I get a feeling I think in general when I'm shopping if you know if if I really desperately need something if I have that energy when I'm out shopping I don't find it but if I'm in a really chill good place and I just have a knowing like I'm gonna go wander and I'm just happy and relaxed that's when I really find the good places and I really find the good stuff so the thrift gods smile on you exactly. if you're in a chill mood. So they're trying to get you to be Yeah, chill, it's something clearly. I work on every day. <laughs> <laughs> so do you keep like a list of things you're looking for? It sounds like you're at least looking for a jacket. Uh, or are you more spontaneous? Um, to, if I find something really amazing, occasionally I'll just buy it. <laughs> Um, actually hot limo the youtuber he works for a vintage store in new york and they did a pop-up in london when he was here and he invited me to it and i bought this blazer which i probably wear at least two or three times a week now for 25 pounds and it has balenciaga shoulders it's check it's so flattering it makes i'm i'm a healthy slim person now but it makes me look tiny and just has it just has this incredible shape so Impulsive isn't always bad if you know yourself. I think I'm going to need a picture of that jacket that too. That can also be arranged. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Woo! Uh, let's see. Last question. 
what is your all-time best or worst thrift story? Hmm. All-time best or worst. I'd probably say that pop-up with Hot Lamode was my best thrifting story because I tried on so many things. We were getting drunk. It was amazing. <laughs> I also bought this velvet long-sleeved crop top and the shop is called Shop at Shop the Break and they're based in the US so they'll probably ship to you or you can go there if you're ever in Brooklyn, New York. They have the most incredible edit of vintage I have ever seen. I was so impressed. And going through the rails there, talking to the owner, it was amazing. I really wish I could have got her on the podcast, but I'll be in New York soon. So fingers crossed. Oh, cool. I'll definitely listen to that. Well, that concludes the interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and the listeners of Thrift Therapy. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. It was on. lovely. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Thrift Therapy. I will see you here again in two weeks, and we will talk more thrifting. In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Tell a friend. And as always, stay thrifty.